0: to saint john the 10th chapter beginning with the 22nd verse right now so glory to you O lord at that time the festival of the dedication took place in jerusalem it was winter and jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of solomon so the jews gathered around him and said to him how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the messiah tell us plainly Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you all of our thanks and praise for who you are and all that you do for us. We thank you for your son Jesus and your Holy Spirit. We thank you for spring, for Mother's Day, for baptism, for graduations, for old friends. Lord, we also lift up to you all of the burdens of our hearts All of our anxieties, fears, loneliness, and depression. Those things which we struggle with, that no one else knows about but you. We thank you for your tender grace and mercy and for your healing power. We ask now that you would speak a word of life and sustenance to us. A word of hope and joy and peace and transformation all this we pray in jesus name amen my sermon text for today is the gospel lesson john chapter 10 verses 22 through 30. it's a brief snippet uh found in uh, the overall context of uh, chapter 10 of john's gospel where jesus is uh, developing and dealing with this metaphor analogy Illustration of sheep and shepherd, with him being our shepherd and we being his sheep. My sermon title for today is Rededication. Rededication. G.K. Chesterton, an early 20th century English writer, Christian apologist or defender, and man of colossal genius, wrote a classic book entitled, What is Wrong with the World? What is wrong with the world? Legend has it, the magazine Christianity Today reported, that Chesterton, asked by a newspaper reporter what was wrong with the world, skipped over all of the expected answers. He said nothing about corrupt politicians or ancient rivalries between warring nations or the greed of the rich or the covetousness of the poor. He left aside street crime and unjust laws and inadequate education. Environmental degradation and population growth overwhelming the earth's carrying capacity were nowhere on his radar. Neither were the structural evils that burgeoned as wickedness became ingrained in society and its institutions in ever more complex ways. What is wrong with the world? As the story goes... Chesterton responded with just two words, I am. Coming from an intellectual and moral giant like Chesterton, that admission was startling and confusing, and yet it could not be more true. Given the recent incidents of the seemingly endless war in Ukraine, the New York City subway attack, the Taliban's resurgence in Afghanistan, renewed Israeli-Palestinian hostilities, and almost daily occurrences of indiscriminate shootings and road rage incidents, you would be forgiven for fantasizing about cruel and torturous methods of punishment for the perpetrators of these heinous acts of senseless and indiscriminate violence. To be awash in feelings of anger, wrath, and vengeance is certainly understandable given the cold-hearted nature of what we see on the daily news. And yet, and yet, we adhere to a religion which has, as one of its fundamental doctrines, the concept of original sin. A religion whose scriptures uncomfortably remind us, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Who can discern his own errors? Clear thou me from hidden faults, O God. All of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments or filthy rags to you, O God. None is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. Not even one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so... G.K. Chesterton's insight pulls us back from the brink of bile and a poisonous response to evil, which surely seeks to lure us likewise into its clutches. By echoing the remarks of another famous writer, Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who suffered years of abuse in the Soviet Union's forced labor camp system before reaching this sobering conclusion, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? In a cold world full of cold-hearted people on a cold winter day steps a man whom we revere as the Prince of Peace whose teachings included turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies and Father forgive them for they know not what they do and whose life included the unjust and violent end of crucifixion which he endured, according to Isaiah's prophecy, by not opening his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb or mute, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 22 finds Jesus, his disciples, and a great number of his Jewish nation at the festival of the dedication, what today we call Hanukkah, in Jerusalem. It was winter. Like its celebration today, in December. This particular feast celebrates the rededication, actually, or the reconsecration of Jerusalem's temple in 165 164 BC, after its desecration at the hands of a Greek Seleucid ruler named Antiochus IV Epiphanes. As a foreign oppressor who had conquered Israel, he blasphemously placed idols in Jerusalem's temple. The Jewish people successfully revolted under Judas Maccabee in the Maccabean Revolution, ruled their own country once again under the so-called Hasmonean dynasty, at least for 100 years before the conquering Romans appeared on the scene, during which time the Jews rededicated and re-consecrated their holy temple there in Jerusalem. Jesus is walking in the famed portico of Solomon, An early meeting place of the first christians on the southeast side of the temple how long will you keep us in suspense his opponents demand if you are the messiah tell us plainly i have told you jesus seemingly snaps back and yet you do not believe he references his signs his miracles and wonders that he has been performing as evidence, the most recent being the healing of a man born blind in just the preceding chapter. But this particular crowd is not persuaded. Jesus tackles the mysterious reasons for belief and unbelief using the famous metaphor of shepherd and sheep, which he has been developing this entire tenth chapter. Jesus says twice, In verses 11 and 14 prior to our text today, I am the good shepherd. He famously declares his purpose in verse number 10. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He indicates the far-reaching effects of his ministry reaching beyond his own Jewish people out into the Gentile world by declaring in verse 16, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, I must bring them also, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. As it concerns the mystery of belief or unbelief, Jesus gives only vague, innate, instinctual reasons. Back in verse 3, he says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and leads them out. In verse number 4, the sheep follow him because they... They know His voice. Verse 5, they don't follow strangers because they don't know the voices of strangers. Verses 14 and 15, I know My own and My own know Me. Verse 16, The other sheep will also listen to My voice. Here in verse 27, My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. You may or may not find this helpful as it concerns faith or belief. It just seems that some believe and some do not. Some follow, some do not. And those that do simply know in some innate fashion who Jesus is. They hear his voice in ways that others do not. And in a world of loud, numerous, competing voices, how do we recognize our lords? In a world of voices of family and friends, enemies, materialism, consumerism, secularism, games, distractions, delusions, peer pressure, mob mentality, how do we discern the clarion call of our own name? Back in verse 3. Great comfort and security arise next in the remaining verses. For the victims of recent tragedies and terrorism in our nation and around the world. Indeed, for any of us struggling with a sense of profound loss, grief, or our own mortality. Jesus' next words offer succor and consolation. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. No one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. So even when we seem to be snatched away, when we feel it or experience it, that is actually not the case. Because that is impossible. We know Jesus. We hear His voice. We hear our names. Jesus' last statement is controversial to say the least. It is provocative and it is meant to be. The Father and I are one is a claim to divinity. It is a claim that no one makes lightly. And if so, is then viewed as dangerous or delusional or both. Indeed, the very next verse, just outside of our text, demonstrates what such a claim may provoke. An attempted stoning. Other religions, primarily Jewish and Muslim, view such a claim as heresy and indeed blasphemy. Indeed, even in our own Christian faith even our own Christian faith, has struggled with parsing out what Jesus means here, particularly since he says just as clearly in chapter 14, verse 28, the Father is greater than I. The Father is greater than I. The Father and I are one. So there's a creative tension in our theology. The Father and I are one is a great quote, a great sentiment. A great reality. If Jesus is one with the Father, He is, in some sense, divine. In Jesus' so-called high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, His prayer on the final night of His life here on earth, this oneness, this unity comes up again and again and again. He thanks God that He and God are one. And He prays that we his followers might also be one in them. Follow me now. Jesus thanks God in that prayer that he and God are one. And he prays that we, his followers, might also be one in them. That means God is one with Jesus. Jesus is one with God. Jesus is one with us. And we are one with Jesus. Jesus which means we are one with God, and God is one with us. We hesitate to really believe or accept such a concept, but chapter 17, verses 21 through 23, read there, "...that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may all be in us." That they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. In other words, you and I are invited into this unity, into this oneness of Jesus and God. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says it clearly and somewhat disconcertingly that we... You and I become partakers of the divine nature. We become partakers of the divine nature. Early church father, Athanasius, said it like this, Jesus was made man that we might be made God. Back to Solzhenitsyn, that Russian dissident and author, who recorded Soviet brutality in his seminal work, The Gulag Archipelago. As a result of his great suffering, Solzhenitsyn comes to believe this. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states or nations, nor between classes of people, nor between political parties either, but actually... That line passes right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us. It oscillates with the years. And even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an unuprooted small corner of evil. So perhaps in us, in our Christ-touched hearts as a result of original sin, perhaps there remains an unuprooted small corner of evil. In his earlier quote, he lamented, "...who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart?" What if we responded, we are? What if we acknowledged, like Chesterton, that what is wrong with this world is us? The whole context to today's gospel is verse 22, the festival of dedication, which it was a rededication or a reconsecration of a building which was holy because God dwelt in it but which had been profaned by idols being set up in it, and which was now made holy again by the removal of those idols and the reconsecration of its precincts. My friends, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that we are God's temple now, and that God's Spirit dwells inside us, and that we are now holy because of that. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are built into God's new holy temple and God's spirit now dwells not in a building somewhere but within us in our hearts. And 1 Peter 2 informs us that we are living stones built into God's spiritual house and we are now a holy priesthood. What if we believed that, accepted that, and acted out of that in a transformed life? What if we knew Jesus was our shepherd? We are His sheep. We hear His voice. We recognize our name. And we know that we are now in God. And God is now in us. What if in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We willingly destroyed a piece of our own heart. And uprooted that small corner of evil. Plucked it up. Plucked it out. And tossed it aside. What if we rededicated our heart. Reconsecrated our heart. Tore down the remaining idols and rivals for God's affection and completely disposed of them. What if, like the festival of dedication in Jerusalem in AD 29 in the temple, we had a feast of dedication right now in Raleigh, North Carolina, in 2022 in St. Philip Lutheran Church. What if we said in unison, together and even out loud, Create in us a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. What if we believed and lived out? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. What if you and I leave here today rededicated and Reconsecrated, rededicated by this worship, by God's word, by the sacrament of baptism and communion, reconsecrated re-con- by the prayers, the peace, the fellowship, and the singing. If you are being rededicated right now, won't you say amen? amen. If you are reconsecrated, won't you say amen? amen? I think we just might be rededication, rededication, amen.